You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. New details tonight about the serious allegations facing a BC businessman in connection with the U.S. college admission scandal. Catherine Urquhart has more on what we're learning about David Sidhu's alleged actions to get his sons into elite universities and how much he stands to lose if found guilty. David Sidhu and wife Manji were all smiles while throwing a Bollywood party at their multi-million dollar home in Vancouver recently, even though the Vancouver businessman is facing numerous charges connected to Operation Varsity Blues. Sidhu accused of conspiracy to commit mail and wire fraud and money laundering. A new indictment also includes forfeiture. The forfeiture one as well, that normally means that they intend to seize assets uh, all over the world, the seizure of assets for his whole family and any businesses he owns. Sidhu is accused of paying someone to impersonate his two sons, then take high school and SAT exams for them. Now, new details are being revealed in a third superseding indictment. It asserts Varsity Blues mastermind Rick Singer drafted a falsified application essay describing Sidhu's younger son's purported internship with an organization to combat violence among L.A.-based gangs. The indictment states the essay falsely claimed that Sidhu's younger son had been held at gunpoint by gang members. After Sidhu received a draft of the essay, it's alleged he responded to Singer with concerns. Can we lessen the interaction with the gangs? Guns? That's scary stuff. Your call, you know what they look for. Also alleged that Sidhu requested Mark Riddell take either the GMAT or the LSAT in place of Sidhu's son. It says, Riddell used Western Union to wire $520 to China to pay for fraudulent driver's licenses to pose as Sidhu's older son for the GMAT. The indictment says both schemes were abandoned as the ID was poor quality and the LSAT exam required fingerprinting. I think sometimes we think that uh, the U.S. government you know, won't exercise jurisdiction in a foreign country, but they most certainly will come to British Columbia and uh, do what they feel they need to do. Of the 52 rich and famous people charged, 29 have agreed to plead guilty, including actress Felicity Huffman. David Sidhu, along with actress Lori Loughlin, are among those maintaining their innocence. Sidhu's case is due back in court in January for a trial status conference. The Vancouver businessman may well choose to stay home, as he's not required to attend. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And late today, we received a statement from David Sidhu's lawyer. It reads, quote, let me be clear. The information released today, mere allegations from the mouths of admitted felons. Mr. Sidhu has a very robust defense that disputes these allegations, and he looks forward to his day in court when we can present our side of this case. Fresh concerns tonight about the gang conflict on the Lower Mainland as police investigate yet another shooting in an area busy with innocent bystanders. It happened early yesterday evening in Abbotsford near a gas station. And as Sarah McDonald reports, it's just the latest in a string of shootings putting members of the public at risk. A gas station with drivers at the pumps. A bustling fast food joint in Langley. 
or a crowded coffee shop drive through in Surrey. And now a car wash in Chilliwack and a gas station in Abbotsford. The latest incidents across the lower mainland where gunfire is exchanged between criminals, putting law-abiding British Columbians in the crosshairs. This is wrong. This occurred at a time in the evening where lots of people are around, people are going about their day-to-day -day activities, and it's in a public place. There's a common theme when gunfire erupts between gangsters. The shooter, the victim, or both often inside vehicles, typically frequenting places that are otherwise pedestrian, but quickly escalate into crime scenes. Those shootings, while targeted, pose a very public risk. Bullets intended for known gangsters and criminals all too often coming within meters of innocence civilians in busy places and plazas like this one. When the drugs come in, right, then they, then they really, uh, they, they really start knocking each other off. I just think it's awful when there's like kids around, old people and that, you know. Tuesday's shooting in Abbotsford boasting all the hallmarks of an organized hit, a burning vehicle located a short distance away. The victim in his 20s driving himself to hospital, but not before crashing into this car of a bystander as he did. That shooting victim is expected to recover, but the victim of this one less than 24 hours earlier in Chilliwack is not. He was transported to hospital and remains there on life support but is not expected to survive. Investigators now appealing for witnesses with whoever pulled the trigger in both cases still at large as a likely turf war continues to interrupt and endanger the lives of law-abiding citizens. Sarah McDonald, Global News. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team is confirming they are investigating the discovery of two bodies found in a home in a quiet Coquitlam neighborhood. IHID is focusing on a home on Seton Avenue near Robinson Street. A large area has been behind police tape since Monday with a white tent set up in front of the home. Forensic investigators in white and blue suits have been combing the area. Late this afternoon, investigators confirmed the deaths. One was the victim of a homicide. The other is still being examined. No suspects are being sought. BC's police watchdog has been called to an incident in Langley. Just after 3 a.m., RCMP were deployed to 72nd Avenue and 208th Street after an abandoned 911 call. They found a man who appeared to be under the influence of drugs. A physical altercation ensued when police attempted to take him into custody. Shortly afterward, the man lost consciousness and was later pronounced dead at the scene. The IIO is now determining whether police actions or inactions are linked to the man's death. Well, there's a fight over fireworks in Vancouver, where tonight City Council is discussing a motion to ban retail sales in the city starting in 2021. Grace Key is live at City Hall tonight with the details on this. And Grace, there are a lot of mixed feelings about fireworks, especially when it comes to Halloween. Yeah, you know, for some, Halloween fireworks is a great family tradition. For others, a bit of a nuisance. Well, in a few more minutes, that will be up to for debate here at Vancouver City Hall. For some, it's a Halloween tradition that goes hand in hand with trick-or-treating. But the days of setting off fireworks could soon be sizzling out in Vancouver. Councillor Pete Fry is calling on a ban on the sale of consumer fireworks by 2021. We live in an increasingly dense urban environment and that, that you know, the, the, the overuse of fireworks throughout our city is actually impacting the quality of life for a lot of people and animals. 
The counselor says police and fire calls go up in the days leading up to Halloween. The noise takes a toll on wild and domestic animals, and children are the ones who are often hurt in fire-related injuries. Raymond Greenwood, known as Mr. Fireworks, is getting ready to set up shop at his Dunbar location. He believes the Vancouver Fire Department has some of the best rules in the country when it comes to the use of fireworks. These fireworks are safe and sane fireworks approved by Natural Resources Canada, but what they should stop is the illegal selling of bottle rockets, firecrackers, mighty mites that are coming across the line from the states. Right now, anyone wanting to buy and discharge fireworks in Vancouver must have a permit, be at least 19 years old and complete an online test. You can only buy them between October 25th and the 31st. Municipalities such as Burnaby, Coquitlam and Richmond have a ban on the sale of fireworks. So this would allow us an opportunity to really sort of focus on allowing to have those professional display fireworks, so actually getting some proper certification and if you want to have a fireworks display in your community community uh, for Halloween or Diwali or what have you, you would go and actually get a proper certificate and with a little bit of training so they're not just running around in the streets. All right, Grace, who are we expecting to hear from tonight? Yeah, so this is the speaker list here. About 19 people have signed, uh, signed up, and it really ranges. Everyone from the National Fireworks Association, retailers, there's a religious group, and the SPCA as well. And council is expected to be voting on this issue after they hear from the speakers. Sophie? All right, we'll see what they decide. We'll have more tonight on Global News at 11. Grace, thank you. Renewed calls tonight to relieve property tax pressures on small businesses, especially in Metro Vancouver, where they've doubled or even tripled in recent years. Currently, stores are taxed on the development potential of the airspace above their buildings. Richard Zussman has more on what the B.C. Liberals are now proposing and how their idea is being received. You just put the tea in. For every teapot or teabag sold, it's always in the back of Sabrina Foss's mind. How much of her sales have to go straight to a climbing rent bill? It definitely is something you think about when your business tax takes up about a third of your entire rent that you pay. That's a good chunk. And if it keeps going up, you know, a few hundred dollars, three, four hundred dollars, five hundred dollars every year, it's like, where's that money coming from? The reasons rents are soaring is not because of what's in the store, it's the unused space above it. The way commercial property taxes work now across BC is owners are charged a rate for the best use of the property, meaning small businesses are taxed like commercial towers. And that has led to a growing number of businesses having to shut their doors. It is a large number of businesses. I mean, Vancouver alone, you can look at, you know, West Forth, Denman, Robson Street. The BC Liberals introducing legislation on Tuesday that would give municipalities the power to adjust the property tax rates. So it's at the sole discretion of local governments to determine if A, they want to use this tool, and B, uh, how that t a tool will be applied. Private members' bills rarely pass. This likely will be no different. But in this case, the government likes the idea, currently working on its own solution. We've identified some long-term solutions that require uh, more work uh, to make sure that they, they deliver in the way that they need to deliver, but we're also looking at interim solutions that will provide relief in the near term for these businesses. The goal is to have some interim measures in place by the 2020 tax season, something that has support from Vancouver's mayor. 
split assessment is is the best way forward for small businesses in our community. Uh, we've tried everything we can here at the local level, but we really need provincial help to get that done. But as the wheels of politics move slowly, FOSS still needs to fret about those bills, worried eventually the pennies won't add up and these doors could be closed forever. Richard Zussman, Global News. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau held his first news conference this morning since winning a minority government in Monday's election. Keith Baldry is back in Victoria tonight. He joins us with more on what the PM says the next few weeks will look like and his stance on a coalition, Keith. Yeah, ever since the minority government became clear in election night, people have been talking about would there be a formal coalition? And by the way, folks, the way that works traditionally, it would put other party uh, MPs in the cabinet of uh, Justin Trudeau's government. So Trudeau today, to no one's surprise, ruling that out and basically saying he wants to talk to everyone over the coming weeks to figure out how to move forward in a minority situation. But you can forget about that coalition idea. I intend to sit down uh, with all party leaders uh, in the coming weeks uh, to talk about their priorities, about how we can work together to respond to the preoccupations that Canadians have from uh, one end of this country to the other to the other. Um, it'll be, uh, they will be you know, various and varied conversations, but I can tell you it is not in our plans at all to form any sort of formal coalition, formal or informal coalition. So there you have it, no coalition. Now, whether or not there's a, a confidence and supply agreement, which is in place here in B.C. between the Greens and, and the uh, NDP, uh, is unclear whether that's going to happen. I kind of doubt that's going to happen, Sophie. I think this is going to be a very informal arrangement. Uh, the Liberals will simply govern and hope the other parties pass bills. The only way the government can be defeated is on a confidence bill and you, or a confidence vote, and you can be sure the Liberals will do whatever it takes to avoid uh, having that scenario play out. All right, we'll see how it all works out. Keith, thank you. Right now, though, with Halloween right around the corner, an important reminder from RCMP, especially now that cannabis edibles are legal. Do you think you could tell the difference between candy and cannabis candy? As Ted Chernecki reports, the volume and variety of edible items recently seized from an illegal dispensary is food for thought. To walk into one of BC's newest flagship cannabis stores, it's pretty clear everything here is by the book, all legal. No clouds of smoke, no half-baked staff, and nothing edible here, not yet. Yeah, so there's this one here as well. Despite the stark contrast to the old way of doing things, the line between legal and illegal is still very much blurred. Most people didn't know or don't know what's legal, what's not legal. You know, and then a lot of the illicit groups are, are, are mimicking the packaging of the legal cannabis. RCMP unveiled their latest bust of illegal edibles. All this seized from a property in Burnaby. It comes a week after Ottawa approved edibles, but not before a 60-day product testing period to make sure that what appears on the shelf doesn't appeal to underage customers. Uh, you know, here I have a product that was, that was purchased in the store. Uh, really, there's, there's very little, little differences between the uh, product containing cannabis. So that, that right there is the difference. Uh, children, children won't know. You won't see any legal edibles on store shelves until late December or early January, and they won't look anything like what the RCMP was displaying today. It, you know, they're going to look very... Uh, I'll use the word plain. The, the, the federal government and Health Canada have done a very good job at making sure that nothing will be appealing to young children and minors. Trying to police the borderless World Wide Web isn't easy, but Ottawa and B.C. are well aware of the underground economy and believe they can shut down most of the illegal operations. 
The feds, I know, are looking at uh, methods that we can deal with, whether it's on the platforms that are being used, whether it is working with uh, credit card companies uh, and other, other methods uh, to be able to deal uh, in terms with this issue. When edibles do arrive at licensed BC cannabis stores, they'll be pretty nondescript, and the only way to buy them online legally will be through the bccannabisstores.com. Ted Chernecki, Global News. In the South Okanagan, thieves carved out a plan over the weekend to steal a prized 100-pound pumpkin from a produce market. They walk around here, check, um, you know, a couple bins, and then uh, this was the place where they steal it. These surveillance images capture the pumpkin bandits in action on Sunday evening, walking off with it in the dead of night. Paramjeet Dollywal, the owner of the Sunview Market in Oliver, says the pumpkin is the largest one they've ever grown. That was a masterpiece, right? And then, yeah, been stolen from us. I don't think they're going to bring it back, <laughs> but I just let them, you know, enjoy it. It is sad they take it from us. Dollywell says the property has been targeted in recent months and other items have also been stolen. They've notified police and have shared that surveillance footage, but so far no arrests have been made. A scary situation for a new Westminster man who claims he was stabbed in the foot by a needle while trying on boots at a popular secondhand store. John Hua has more on where it happened and why the victim says the company's lack of response has only made things worse. At first, Chris Turner thought it was a great secondhand find. I saw a pair of boots, a pair of Sorrells, took one off the, uh, the shelf and uh, took my running shoe off. But instead of the perfect fit... I put my foot in it to feel how it felt, and it felt uncomfortable. There was some pressure on my foot. He knew right away something felt wrong. Reached in, and I pulled out a syringe. These things have to be checked. This is for customers to go and try on. Turner said the incident happened Sunday while shopping with his wife at this Value Village store in New Westminster. I actually shopped there quite a bit, and it makes me nervous. I don't even know how you would go about even recovering from that. Now, when Global News asked Value Village for an interview, they just provided a statement essentially saying that all of their staff are trained to evaluate each item before it ends up on the floor and that the store team here is currently gathering more information because shopper safety is of the utmost importance. You would think they would call and ask if I was all right and they haven't reached out at all. I do feel a bit of discomfort in this area. While medical staff at the hospital told him the risk of contracting hepatitis C or HIV is low, Turner must still go through regular blood tests over the next year. It's fear of the unknown. It's fear of being jabbed by a syringe. It's fear of what could happen. The 59-year-old decided he had to sound the alarm, knowing Halloween is one of the store's busiest times. It's not easy to talk about, but I believe people deserve to know there is this hazard out there that could happen to anyone. Turner says to be safe, he will never set foot inside a value village again. John Hua, Global News. A Vancouver woman is calling out the city after a falling tree narrowly missed her house. Unlike other city timber that has toppled suddenly in recent years, the homeowner says this tree didn't come down without warning. Erin MacArthur reports. Picking her way through the debris, Tula Favreau, thankful the tree didn't get any closer to her west side home. The giant willow 
toppled Monday night in the heavy rain, blocking the residential street and leaving a huge mess for crews to clean up. Favreau complained to the city about this tree several times. They checked and reassured us that everything was fine. The root system was very nice and deep, but last night it just came crashing down. The park board is responsible for tens of thousands of trees across the city, maintaining healthy ones and removing any for disease or danger. Despite the work, trees fall regularly. Windstorms and failed limbs can leave millions in property damage. Yeah. We're just on the other side. Yeah, yeah. What happened? Neighbors here along the Arbutus Greenway say it's lucky nobody was hurt. Well, yeah, I'd actually, I'd left in the evening and I came back an hour and a half later. Right. And there was a massive tree lying in the road, pretty much where I parked my car. The park board wouldn't do an on-camera interview, but said in a statement, the safety of people and property is their number one priority. Cold comfort for a homeowner who was just a few centimeters away from a costly call to her insurance agent. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Police in Montreal are investigating an unthinkable crime. A father suspected of killing his two young children in a murder-suicide. The bodies of the two children and their father were found inside a home in the city's east end last night. The children's mother made the gruesome discovery. Police believe the seven-year-old boy and five-year-old girl were murdered by their 40-year-old father before he took his own life. The first officers on scene are getting help to deal with what they saw. Police in the UK are probing what appears to be a mass human smuggling tragedy. 39 bodies were discovered in the back of a truck container east of London. Its driver arrested on suspicion of murder. Paramedics spotted the truck on an industrial site in the county of Essex, about 25 miles from central London. Sadly, all 39 people inside the container had died. Police say all the victims were adults, except for one teenager. At this stage, we have not identified where the victims are from or their identities, and we anticipate this could be a lengthy process. Authorities believe the truck travelled from Belgium and entered the UK on Saturday through a port in eastern England. Police arrested the 25-year-old driver on suspicion of murder. This is an unimaginable tragedy and, and truly heartbreaking. I know that the thoughts and prayers of all members are with those who lost their lives and their loved ones. The bodies were reportedly crammed inside the truck, leading to questions about whether the victims were smuggled in. If it transpires that this was a case of trafficking, human trafficking gone horribly wrong, then the question really needs to be asked why, why people feel that they have to submit themselves to a trafficker. There have been similar tragedies before. Nearly 20 years ago, 58 Chinese migrants suffocated in a truck in southeastern England. They were sealed in a container in searing heat. Only two people huddled by the door survived. Many questions remain in this case, including who tipped off paramedics about the bodies. Cindy Palm, CBS News, London. Donald Trump lifting sanctions against Turkey today in the crisis in northern Syria. The U.S. president's move came shortly after Turkey and Syria came to a ceasefire agreement. Trump is calling his efforts a big success. Russia and Syria's Assad regime, accused of mass atrocities, now take over what had been a peaceful area controlled by the Kurds and protected by American troops. Trump doesn't regret his decision to withdraw U.S. troops earlier this month. He says... 
let someone else fight over this long blood-stained sand. In Health Matters tonight, the BC Centre for Disease Control is warning non-injection drug users to get and use naloxone. A 2018 survey of drug users conducted by the BC CDC reveals people who smoke or snort drugs are half as likely to carry naloxone. But with a toxic street drug supply, it's not just injection opioid users who are at risk of fatal overdose. Health officials say having a naloxone kit and knowing how to use it can save a life. In the U.S., health officials are calling for stronger warnings for breast implants. The FDA released draft, draft guidance today, pushing for manufacturers to add a boxed warning. That's the strongest form of a warning to their, to their devices. It would list all possible complications, including rare cancers, and that the risk for developing complications increases the longer the woman has the implant. The agency also wants patients to review a decision checklist with the doctors, which would outline the potential risks. The guidelines will be finalized after public input. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. When it comes to food, humans have eaten some species into extinction. That's according to a BC University professor who's written a book about our lost feast. Linda Aylesworth has more on the foods we've loved to death and which favorites could disappear from our dinner plates. Once upon a time, the passenger pigeon was the most plentiful bird on the planet. They lived in North America. And when a flock flew overhead... They were described as a living wind, as clouds, as great forces that would block the sun for hours or days. Unfortunately for them, they were delicious. In 1901, the last wild passenger pigeon was killed. And in 1914, the last captive one, named Martha, followed. It's the first time in human history we knew exactly when a species went extinct. And that kind of haunted me. So much so that Dr. Lenore Newman, a culinary geographer at the University of the Fraser Valley, wrote a book, Lost Feast, to answer the question, I wonder how many foods we've literally loved to death. And perhaps more importantly, which species are next? A lot of oceanic species are at risk. One of the ones I think is a bit similar to the passenger pigeon, although not as plentiful, is the bluefin tuna. So prized is the flesh of the endangered bluefin tuna that overfishing has reduced its numbers by 90%. Of course, humans push animals towards extinction in indirect ways as well. There's climate change and natural habitat loss to things like grazing, which takes up 25% of the planet's landmass. We have to rethink the cow because it's 10 times more environmentally intensive than any other species. Then there's the way we're devastating bee populations with pesticides. I'm really urging people, if you have a yard, if you have landscaping, make sure it's bee-friendly. Don't use chemicals that kill bees. We really need them for our food. Other advice? Don't eat meat every night. And when you have seafood, choose something ocean-wise certified. My hope is people will read this book and feel a bit hopeful and empowered because every time we open the fridge, we can actually make change. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Canada's NBA champions starting their 25th season in style. The Toronto Raptors making history again. Their winning bling right after the forecast. <laughs> 
All right, meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us with a look at that forecast. So nice to see sunshine again, Christy. It, oh, it, was. it hasn't forgotten about us. <laughs> no, that's right. And it's going to stay with us for a number of days, but there is rainfall in the forecast just briefly. Here's a look at Christina Lake, though, today. I love that cloud layer and then the blue sky above and some beautiful fall colors. Miami River near the Harrison Hot Springs area. Thanks to Lauren for that shot. And somewhere in BC today, Harry sent me this but didn't share where it was located. It looks like summer here. Uh, certainly didn't feel like it this morning. Chilly, that's for sure. And here's the change that's on the way. So rainfall pushing into the north coast, central interior regions touching down into the Columbia area. And you'll note across the south coast, mainly northern regions. However, I urge you to have a look at this. There are some computer models that are now showing a few sprinkles across the lower mainland and southern Vancouver Island. So tomorrow's the kind of day that I wouldn't leave home without a light rain jacket just in case. For the most part, I think it will be dry, but there is now a chance that we could see a few sprinkles for our Thursday. And then it's Friday that the main band of this front will push across, mainly in the morning. It's going to be brief, but pretty intense as it moves across. We'll see gusty winds along with it, and then it will move off. And by Friday afternoon, we could be back to sunshine but we'll continue to see the gusty winds, but at least that rainfall won't last too long. And uh, the weekend's looking pretty nice as well. So the bulk of the rainfall in northern BC tomorrow. Across the south, it pushes down into the Columbia region. Possible snow in the morning for Valmont. Mostly drying through the Okanagan Valley, but again, showers expected north of Metro Vancouver. However, we could see some, metro, uh, some sprinkles in Metro Vancouver through the day tomorrow. But the main band of rain will be Friday morning along with wind. And then Friday afternoon, through the weekend, right through to potentially Halloween, we could be enjoying sunshine. But Halloween is a little bit iffy, so you'll want to tune back in next week for a refinement of that forecast. And I'll leave you with a shot. I really enjoyed this shot. It shows either a little bit of frost or leftover rain in the grass, but with the fall leaves. Thank you to Kelly for capturing that very artistic shot for us. So creative. Thank you, Christy. The Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship in June, and now the team has the diamonds to prove it. Their new championship ring is the largest in NBA history, and it was made in Canada by an Ontario company. Camille Caramelli here with Drina of Baron Championship Rings, and they're responsible for making the Raptors championship ring. My favorite is the top of the ring. 74 diamonds that signify the 74 wins, including playoffs. Then you can see in the middle, there's the Larry O'Brien trophy with a nice 1.25 center diamond with you got your CN Tower, you got your Scotiabank Arena, you got six stones that stand for the six. Oh, and then you got your player numbers all around the side with the rubies signifying for each player. You know, it's been called big, it's been called loud. <laughs> They're pretty big, see them? I can tell you that it is the largest in NBA history. I don't, know, I don't even know if I can fit. I can, I can fit probably three fingers, you know. Along with the most diamonds ever. It's crazy. They did an amazing job. It's uh, the best ring I've ever seen. With 650 diamonds in each ring. I have to figure out how to wear it. It's, it's a little uncomfortable. It's, it's so big. Total carat weight is the most as well, which is 14 carats in total. Kyle Lowry had a say in making this ring. What contributions did he have? He wanted um, the top of this ring to signify Toronto and the country as a whole. Just to, to represent the journey that we put in. Curry lets it fly. Canada, the NBA title is yours. Because last year it took a, it took a journey. It, it wasn't one game, it was two games. You know, you got to represent that journey. Be honest, how many times did he, Kyle Lowry, send this back to you guys and say, I want some changes here? Only one change.
Um, more diamonds. Yeah, you just wanted more bling. What were some of your favorite reactions from the players? Oh, when Serge, when he uh, cried, when he looked at it, he teared up. They were all in awe, just seeing their face expression going, oh, that's, that's all I needed. All right, thanks so much. Drina with Baron Championship Rings with the Raptors Championship Ring right here. That thing is crazy. Over the years, all these championship rings get bigger and no bigger. No kidding. It's, it's not a ring you'd wear out. Well, like one of them thing. said, it's too uncomfortable no, to wear. No, you put it under glass and you put it in your house or something like that. <sighs> uh, the super, I don't get They gave it. one to the super fan, which was nice. Yes, they did. Just yeah. like the St. Louis Blues gave one to their young oh, fan this right. year too, yeah. Maybe one day the Canucks will have rings. You never know. All right, it's Squire time. Yes, it is. Thank you. You need a theme song. No, I don't. Well, you can hum something if you like. I'll try to come up with something. Okay. Uh, nine games in the regular... Can you hum, though, in tune? I can whistle. Oh, do that instead. That'll be cool. Go ahead. Uh, I'm trying to think of a tune to whistle. Just <laughs> nine games into the regular season, and the Cucks are six and three. They haven't allowed any team to score more than three goals on them this year. The last time they went that long from the start of the season, allowing three or less in every game, was way back in 2003 when Mark Crawford was the coach. Uh, Goaltending has been good every night so far this year. Another thing that's been good every night has been the play of rookie defenseman Quinn Hughes. I can't think of a game off the top of my head where he made you wince. And last night he helped start the third period comeback against Detroit with his skill on the power play. And the way things are going for Quinn Hughes, you could soon make an argument that he might be the most naturally talented Canuck. I want to show you a couple of things from last night. Get the puck on the net. Allow for a tip by Bo Horvat. That's why he's on power play one. But look at this move here. Doesn't lead to anything, but watch how he keeps the puck away from the Red Wings. He's not big and people are afraid maybe he'll get hit. Well, go ahead, hit him if you can actually catch him. That skill is quite impressive. Speaking of a man with skill, Sidney Crosby. Lightning Penguins. Alex Kalorn gets the stick on it, and the Lightning have a 1-0 lead. Another guy with good skill, Lightning goalie Andre Vasilevsky. Sam Lafferty has the breakaway, but the big leg comes out, and there is no red light. And it's 1-1 late in the second period. Mission BC's Brent Hayden is getting back in the pool, and not just for a recreational swim. The former world champ and Olympic bronze medalist is making a comeback seven years after he first retired, with the goal of being on Canada's swim team for next year's Olympic Games in Tokyo. But Hayden's story is more than just a 36-year-old guy challenging himself physically against younger swimmers. It's actually much deeper than that. The last seven years, I didn't want to be in a pool at all. Like every time I tried to get in, um, you know, it was just flashbacks to um, the life I used to have, or I'd have flashbacks to um, the back spasm or the, the depression that I was going through. Hayden had to fight through both the pain and depression before winning a bronze medal at the 2012 London Olympics. I had to have my psychologist on, on call for, for the depression. Like she was doing a house call sometimes twice a week. I, I don't even think I would have made it to London if I tried to hold it in and tried to be that strong athlete everybody wants me to be. And shortly after winning that bronze, Brent Hayden retired. So thank you so much. It's been a wonderful ride. When I retired in 2012, um, 
you know, I was putting an end to the worst year of my life. He was trying to put an end not just to the mental pain, but the physical pain as well. Back spasms and nearly forced retirement before the London Olympics. I couldn't walk for four days, only two weeks before the Olympics. I actually asked my coach if I should just retire before the games even came because I didn't know if I was going to be able to do it. After retiring, Hayden was more than just a mural on a wall acting as inspiration to other swimmers. He became a photographer, an entrepreneur, and he was okay being out of the deep end of the sporting life until a trip to his wife Nadina's home country of Lebanon and getting in what seemed like a magic swimming pool. I had access to like the most beautiful pool I've ever swam in at the Jaita Country Club, like perched up high on this hill, you know, looking down the valley straight towards the Mediterranean, right, in the Lebanese sun. So when I was in that pool, um, I just started falling in love with the sport again because I, I felt like um, I felt like I kind of like found a part of me again. And that part is world-class swimmer with his eyes on another Olympics in the 50 meters. It's early days, right? But he has stood on the blocks and done some effort swims and they've been really quite eye-opening, right? And so um, the physical capacity is there. He's stronger, he's bigger, he's more powerful, he's healthy. We'll see. I think the biggest thing is that I'm doing this without anything to prove. And then, you know, I want to, I am kind of curious to see how fast I actually can go because if I am stronger, and I'm already going faster at my top end speed than I've ever gone before. I might not have the endurance that I used to have. Um, you know, like there's there's no there's no limit on what I, what I can uh, how fast I can go. When my shirt's off, I almost look like that. I mean, I also have a belly button, but outside of that, there probably isn't much <laughs> comparison. Try not to giggle. Alex Brightman with a two-run homer game two of the World Series. That ties it up 2-2, and they are 2-2 in the fifth inning. Washington surprised in game number one. Toronto FC, New York FC, semifinal playoff action. It's 1-1. It's a penalty kick. Oh, it's cheeky. And it works. Alejandro Pozuelo. And that's it. TFC wins it 2-1, so they're on to the Eastern Finals. There you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. Let's role technology played in an amazing story of survival. A U.S. man was hiking when he fell from a cliff, stranded and desperate for help. He thought he was going to die. But it turns out his Apple Watch had already come to the rescue. These days, most of us will admit we cannot live without technology. But that has a whole new meaning for James Prudenciano. It's a desperate call for help during a hiking trip. We're really stuck on the side of a mountain. James and his friend Paige were walking in the New Jersey woods last week when they got stranded on a ledge. Then, trying to get off, they slipped. Actually, I can't even say scary. It was devastating. But then, help from an unexpected source. 911, where's the emergency? His Apple Watch. Where are you now? I'm hanging off a cliff. And I was stuck on a tree, and like I had this... This woman just started talking to me. I thought it was an angel. Moments later, another fall. Ten stories, breaking his back in three places. If I didn't have that watch on, I don't know. I'd probably be dead right now. It's a feature called fall detection on the Apple Watch Series 4 or later that you have to enable on your phone. Once the watch detects a hard fall, it flashes an alert. Then, if there's no movement for one minute, the watch automatically dials 911 and sends your location. This technology saved my life. Banged up, but back on his feet, 
thanks to a watchful eye. Blaine Alexander, NBC News. <laughs> See what she did there? Yes. Watchful That's eye. amazing. I had no idea it could do that. And we thought at one time the best technology was that commercial when the lady said, I've fallen and I can't get up. Oh, right. that's right. Remember her? Yeah. Oh, was, and was it a button you pressed? I, think I forget. It was, I think it was a button that you yeah. maybe wore around your neck. Oh. Right. Yeah. This Life alert. Is that what it was called? I don't know, but she now she can just wear a watch. Exactly. She wouldn't even need to do anything. No. They'll know she's fallen and can't get up. Exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, final word on the weather? Sure. So uh, a few sprinkles possible tomorrow, otherwise mainly cloudy. Again, it's heavy rain expected Friday morning, so you commute to work maybe slow Friday morning. But then from Friday afternoon through the next several days, sunshine. Halloween's a bit iffy, so you want to check back in with us. Maybe I should just take Friday off, do you think? Maybe instead of driving in that. Oh, rain. yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay. I always take Friday off if you can. <laughs>